Our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Amen. Good morning and welcome to worship. Today the Lord Jesus confronts us with the reality of our own lives. I think sometimes we're tempted to think that God has set the bar fairly low when he calls on us to live as his people. Today, as we listen to Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, we come to the realization that it takes a perfect life to get into heaven. Today's gospel reading and the words of our sermon text this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 through 37, where Jesus says to each of us, Indeed, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and experts in the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Racha, will have to answer to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. So if you are about to offer your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If someone accuses you, reach an agreement with him quickly while you are with him on the way. Otherwise, your accuser may bring you to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to be regarded as an adulteress. And whoever marries the divorced woman is regarded as an adulterer. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven because it is God's throne and not by earth because it is his footstool and not by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head since you cannot make one hair white or black. Instead, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Whatever goes beyond these is from the evil one. The words of our Savior. Grace and peace be yours in abundance to the knowledge of God and of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, they were at least outwardly the models of morality. They let everyone see their faith on public display. They were very careful to steer clear of tax collectors and people of ill repute. 
They went way beyond what the law required. They fasted twice a week. They were the titans of tithing. They knew the Mosaic law and all of its man-made additions backwards and forwards and patterned their lives after it. When they prayed, they lifted their hands to the heavens and thanked God that they were not like other men. No, they weren't. They were Pharisees, the self-proclaimed religious elite in their day. And I suppose that there were some back in the days of Jesus who, when they saw a Pharisee passing by, thought to themselves, why couldn't I be more like him? The Pharisees took their religion seriously. So can you imagine the hopeless feeling that must have come pouring over people as they sat and listened to Jesus preach his famous Sermon on the Mount? When he told them, as it says in the first verse of our text, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What? A righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the experts in the law? I mean, what's next, Lord? An intelligence that surpasses that of Albert Einstein? Musical abilities that surpass those of Beethoven and Bach? The theme theme I've chosen for today is that it takes a perfect life to get into heaven. What do you think would happen if this afternoon you took clipboard in hand and went over to Great Lakes Crossing Mall and just started polling people strolling around with one simple question? Do you agree or disagree with this statement that it takes a perfect life to get into heaven? I wouldn't be one bit surprised if fewer than 10% of people agreed with that statement. Here's a more important question. Do you agree with that statement? Here's an even more important question. Is that what the Bible says? I pray that you would say, well, I know that it tells me in the Bible that God does not call upon me to just do my best. But he tells me that I need to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and experts in the law. I know what the Lord says in the Bible. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, God said, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And the Lord Jesus Christ seconded that. In his Sermon on the Mount, he said in the very last verse of this Matthew chapter 5, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It takes a perfect life to get into heaven. And our sinful hearts object. You say, that can't possibly be right, Pastor. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. We say that all the time. Parents who are sending their children off to school in the morning might very well say to their kids, now, be good today, but they wouldn't say you'd be perfect today. 
What if your employer vowed that you would be fired unless you did your job perfectly every moment of every working day? You'd say, come on, nobody's perfect. Okay, but we're not talking about school, and we're not talking about your employer. We're talking about God and his heaven. And the Bible absolutely teaches us that it takes a perfect life to get into heaven. And sometimes that's when our our wheels start turning. We think to ourselves, well, okay, if that's what it takes, Lord, I'm going to get after it. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to do a little more today, and a little more the day after that, a little more the day after that, and I'll get that perfect life, Lord, just you watch. And Jesus today would hold up his hand and say, whoa, slow down. I mean, did you notice that four separate times here in our text, Jesus referred back to the law of God and then used this formula? You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Why did he say that? Because Jesus wants us to understand that if we're thinking that all it takes is an outward conformity to God's commands, if that's enough to do God's will and earn ourselves a spot in heaven, well, then we're wrong. We're dead wrong. Frankly, that was the mistake that the Pharisees and experts in the law had made. They believed that their outward lives were enough. Their actions seemed to exhibit this great love for God, but down deep inside, their hearts were far from him. They had rejected Jesus and dismissed him out of hand. Jesus is showing us that the righteousness that God requires of us is a righteousness of the heart and not just with outward actions. In other words, Jesus is teaching us that living a holy life is not just a matter of what you say and what you do, but with how you love and your attitude. So here it is. Jesus is showing us in these words the utter impossibility of ever being saved by our own works. It's as though he's saying, you think you can live a good enough life and earn yourself a spot in heaven? Really? Well, let's think that through a little more carefully. And so he starts with what we would call the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Now, a real quick look at that commandment would probably lead you to say, all right, there's a commandment I kept, check. I've never murdered anyone. And Jesus would say this morning, no, you haven't kept that commandment. In verses 20 through to 26, he convicts not just my actions, but my words and my heart. Jesus here is teaching us that using vicious words to someone else, saying raka to someone or empty head or calling someone a fool or stupid or an idiot or holding a grudge against someone and being unwilling to work through it and to reconcile is also a sin against the fifth commandment. The Lord teaches us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, that hatred is murder in your heart. Then Jesus moves on to what we would call the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And again, a a real quick look at that might lead someone to say, okay, kept that commandment, I've never committed adultery. But notice that Jesus is urging us to dig deeper, isn't he? He tells us that lustful, impure thoughts are adultery in the eyes of our God. And then Jesus goes on to address marriage. 
And he's upholding the sanctity of the marriage bond as God created it and established it back in Genesis chapter 2, this bond of one man and one woman. It's to be a lifelong bond reflecting the deep commitment and the abiding love that God has shown to us, his people. Yes, Jesus grants there is a case where there are scriptural grounds for divorce. He's telling us that adultery is grounds for divorce because adultery breaks the fundamental essence of Christian marriage. It's that commitment that was made, that that promise that was spoken of being faithful only to your spouse. But notice the Savior's point here. Living a holy life in regard to that commandment isn't just making sure that you don't cheat on your spouse. And it, it, it's far more than that. It's, it's staying free of lust in our hearts and in our minds. It's being pure in our hearts. It's honoring God in the way that we approach our marriage. It's a husband giving 100% to a marriage. It's a wife giving 100% to her marriage and doing so without looking for anything in return but simply to give God glory as they live out their days. In the final verses of our text, Jesus deals with second commandment issues. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And Jesus specifically talks about taking oaths. It would seem as though back then, much like today, there was this practice that you would take an oath to try to convince someone of something. And the more precious or the more loved the person or the thing by which you swore, the more convinced people should be that you're telling the truth. And Jesus rattles off a series of examples today. We would say, well, there are those who would say, well, do you swear on a stack of Bibles? Do you swear on your child's life? Do you swear on your mother's grave? Some would say, well, I swear to God or just, I swear Jesus is reminding us that every oath taken is really taken in God's name, that we are responsible for what comes out of these mouths, and and Scripture calls on us to just speak the truth in love. God wants us to be known as people whom others can trust, to be sincere and truthful and honest in all that we say. And so Jesus simply says, but I tell you, do not swear at all. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. You don't need to swear to back it up. And when we're called on in some very important matter or some civil proceeding to put ourselves under oath, as Jesus did in Matthew 26 as he stood trial, then we're to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. It takes a perfect life to get into heaven. Where do these words of Jesus leave us this morning? If you're anything like me, then you're convicted. And you're crushed. And you're guilty of sin. And you're a little overwhelmed to hear Jesus saying, unless your righteousness surpasses, well, unless your righteousness is perfect, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But that's not all the Bible says. There's more that we need to know. And it's this, through faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, through faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the perfect life that it takes to get into heaven. That's the story of your salvation. 
That's why Jesus came down from heaven and entered into this world to take away from me, to take away from you all of your sins, to put them on himself and to take them to the cross, to pay the penalty in full for every sin. Jesus came down from heaven and lived a perfect life in this world so that he could credit you with what he did. In light of what Christ has lived in your place, God now looks at you and declares you holy, perfect, righteous, in Christ. The holy life required of you, the perfect life that God demands from you, Jesus lived for you. The Savior who in his sermon is calling on you to live a perfect life is the Savior who lived that perfect life as your precious substitute. In other words, dear Christian, your righteousness does surpass that of the Pharisees and the experts in the law and of any other mere mortal because by faith you have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. God has declared you righteous, innocent, not guilty in Christ. Now where does that leave you? Well, redeemed by your precious Savior. Knowing that in Christ you have the perfect life that it takes to get into heaven. Now you want to go and live your life according to his will. Not in an effort to try to get into heaven, but as your way of saying, thank you, Lord, for gifting me with eternal life. And empowered by the gospel that has set you free, now it's not enough for you in life to just not murder people. Now you want to love other people as God so loves the world. It's not enough for you to just refrain from calling people names like raka or empty head or idiot or knucklehead or, or stupid or anything like that. You want to speak kindly to other people and you want to speak the truth in love and you want to speak well of them and about them, even people with whom you disagree. Now in Christ, it's not enough for you to just refrain from taking people to court about every little thing. Now you want to forgive them like you've been forgiven and strive in your words and your heart and your actions to bury the proverbial hatchet. Because you have this perfect life in Christ who gave it to you as a gift of his grace, now empowered by the gospel, it's not enough for you to just avoid being unfaithful to your spouse. Now you want to avoid lust. Now you want to love your spouse as the Lord Jesus has loved you. Now it's not enough to just have a good marriage. Now you want your marriage to soar and to honor Christ, your heavenly bridegroom, to give glory to God every moment of every day. Because you have this perfect life in Christ, empowered by this gospel that has set you free, now it's not enough for you in life to just make sure that you aren't saying swear to God all the time. Now you want to use God's saving holy name to pray to him, to praise him, to tell others about him and the wonders of his love. Now, in Christ, you want to measure every word that comes out of your mouth carefully. You want always to speak the truth in love. 
You want your words to build each other up, not to tear each other down. You want your words to be seasoned with Christian love and Christ-like kindness. And now you know why. It's because you were led to the realization that it takes a perfect life to get into heaven. A perfect life that you couldn't buy, a perfect life that you couldn't manufacture no matter how hard you tried, but a perfect life that was given you by the King of love, the Lord Jesus, your Savior. He not only came into this world to give his life for us on the cross, he came into this world to give us his perfect life so that we stand clothed in the garments of Christ's perfection. So that as Galatians 3 says, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. He lived for us to give us that perfect life to cover our very imperfect lives. Friend, the gospel declares that the perfect life of Jesus is your new life through faith in him. In Christ, be assured that you have the perfect life that it takes to get into heaven. Thank him. Praise him. Serve him in everything that you do to give glory to this wonderful, gracious Savior who has given you his perfect life. Amen.